Hello and welcome to Guru Live Glasgow into this masterclass on the BAFTA nominated no less film Stan and Ollie, supported by Screen Skills with an S, not a Z. The industry led body which directly supports skills and training across the UK film industry. You can read the leaflet on your seats, I believe it's that one, uh, for more information on how Screen Skills can help you on your journey into film. Now, do tell us about your day. Get involved. Love to see your highlights. Tag at BAFTA Scotland on Twitter. That's at BAFTA Scotland. Using hashtag Guru Live. That's hashtag Guru Live. And follow BAFTA Scotland on Instagram or Insta. And share your snaps. Uh, now, I'm Sanjay Cole. You might know me better as Navid from Still Game, Ramesh from Fags, Mags and Bags, and of course, Thanos from Infinity Wars. <laughs> but I'm not the star today. There's two incredibly, incredibly talented, pivotal people from the industry who will be sharing the stage with me, and it is a pleasure to have them. Let me do some intros first before they come on. John S. Baird was born and raised in Aberdeenshire and began his career as a runner at the BBC. True story. His first role as director was in 2001 uh, within the BBC's comedy department, where he directed inserts for topical comedy shows. In fact, I was involved in one of those. John then went on to write and direct short films and features, including Cass and Filth. He's also directed TV drama, including Babylon and Vinyl, before directing the BAFTA-nominated film Stan and Ollie. And Una Niganila has ed edited many award-winning TV dramas and feature-length documentaries, and is probably best known for her work on The Crown, Three Girls, and Stan and Ollie. Una recently also won a BAFTA for her work on Three Girls, and has been nominated for The Missing, Ripper Street, and White Girl. Please give them what you got, John and Una. Now, depending on how you seat yourself, this will tell me a lot about your relationship. Well, actually, I said him first. Aunt, Deck, Aunt, OK. She's the boss, is that how it works? Yeah, Right, so guys, thank you so much for coming. It's a real privilege. Now, who here has seen Stan and Ollie? Let's just, as an impressionistic thing, make a noise, when I count to three, make a noise, give an impression of what you thought of the film. So one, two, three. There you are. I was actually just after a noise, but I got them out awesome, <laughs> which is how I feel about it as well. So, let me ask you first, John, how did the film come to you? What was the process for you? Um, I met Jeff Pope, the writer, um, at, uh, when Filth was doing the rounds. Uh, we, we were at a few sort of different like, events, and Philomena was at the you know, doing the rounds at the same time. And I met Jeff and I got to know him a little bit. And he said, oh, I've got this really interesting script that I want to send to you. He didn't tell me what it was. And then the script came through and my agent, I'd just signed with a new agent and the agent said, I don't think you're going to like this. I don't think this is going to be for you. Uh, I said, well, send it through anyway. And, it was, and, and I opened the page, Stan, and I said, oh, Laurel and Hardy, two of my, you know, of my heroes, and read it. And I cried at the end when I read it for the first time. Um, and I thought, I have to do this, you know, I really have to do this. Because it was so different from Filth or from Cass or from a lot of the TV stuff I'd done. Um, but it really, it was, it was just that connection I had with Jeff at the beginning. Um, and, uh, and it landed on, I was just very lucky to, to, to get it, you know. And I think the reason that I ended up getting the job was because when I went to meet Jeff and, and uh, we talked about it, I said, he said, well, what do you think of it? And I said... I, I think it's a love story. I think that's what it should be. He said, well, I, we don't have to talk anymore. That's, that's exactly well, what I want, yeah. you know. He says, that's it. Just, let's do it. I said, okay. So right. it, was, it, was, it, was, it took a long time to get off the ground. Uh -huh. uh, it took a good few years through active availabilities and finance and et cetera uh -huh. 
Um, but it was something that as soon as I read, I knew I wanted to do, you know. Yeah. What about you, Una? When did you first get involved? And had you worked with John before? No, I hadn't. I had actually, I had seen John's film, so I actually wanted to work with John before. Oh. Yeah, and I had heard of Stan and Ollie probably about 18 months before shooting. <clears throat> so for me, it was actually really fortuitous that my drama CV probably looked very serious and not very comedic. So John was uh, actually editing with another editor, Billy Snedden, at the beginning. And then Billy had another job that he had to go to. So his good fortune was my great fortune. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, had you been a fan of Lauren Hardy? Like yeah, 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 yeah. Like everyone, I think. Like anyone who's sort of our age group, it's what we had on TV when, you, you know, with very limited TV in the 70s or 80s. So Lauren and Hardy or Harold Lloyd or all those films, they've always been shown on TV. So I, I love them. I love them from an early age. Yeah. So John, let's talk about casting then. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, I, I'd say... I'd, sort, I'd call it quite idiosyncratic casting. I don't know, maybe then you watch it and they're brilliant. So you think, well, they were brilliant and they were, they were born to play those roles. But what was the casting process? Um, well, we, first of all, um, we, thought of, we thought of older actors, first of all, because we were concentrating on, on that part of their life and we had a couple of people in mind, um, but we never approached them, you know. Um, Thank goodness, or the first choices on the lists for Stan and Ollie were, funnily enough, Steve Coogan and John C. Reilly. Oh, really? But yeah, there were, uh, for several reasons, because um, we were looking for comedians who could act and actors who, you know, were, were good with comedy as well. And, and it's difficult to get that balance sometimes. But also, we needed to find two people. I think there's plenty of people who maybe could have played Stan and who could have played Ollie individually. But the stroke of genius is trying to find the chemistry and matching the pair together, yeah? yeah? That's what the difficult thing was to do. So we thought, who would work together? So there was a load that would work individually, a load that would work individually from Ollie. But who would, and there was, it was very few combinations that we thought, anyway, would be able to do what we wanted. And, and, that was, and we, were, we were fortunate that they said yes. It took a lot of persuading, particularly with John Riley. Why? What was, what was... I think they were, they were both very nervous, um, as we all were, really, about you know, playing your heroes and doing a movie about your heroes, a big responsibility. And they wanted to make sure, they wanted to make sure that we were going to do it right, we were going to treat these pair with respect, uh -huh. uh, mm -hmm. we were just going to deliver. So it was almost, especially John maybe played a little bit hard to get to see how much we really wanted them. <laughs> yeah. And I ended up, it's a, a true story, John has got a summer house in a place called uh, Fire Island, which is, which is off, the, off the coast of, of New York, um, off the coast of Long Island. And to get to it, I had to fly. It was li literally trains, planes, automobiles, <laughs> and boats, and by foot. I had to fly to New York. I had to get the train through Long Island. I had to get a taxi to the, the boat. I had to get the boat, and then I had to walk <laughs> across this island because there was no... To, to, to go and hunt him down. Wow. And, and I did that. And I think when I turned up on his door, he thought, ah... This guy's maybe yeah, serious, you know. Yeah. Is it so, Bill Murray that famously doesn't have a phone? And there's a phone box that he uses? He doesn't have an agent, no. Uh -huh. he doesn't have a, and if you're lucky, you might catch him in that phone box. It's one of those ones, isn't it? It's, it? Yeah, he's pretty difficult to get a hold of. But John, so, but John, was, John was like... Oh, Steve, was, Steve was a bit more confident with it. Steve was... When I met Steve... You know, because he was easier to get to because Jeff and Steve knew yeah, each other yeah, from Philomena. Yeah, yeah. So he was easier to get to, and uh, Steve had been a big fan of Filth as well. And that, so that was, 
that was, you know, that was a start. John hadn't seen it and didn't know. Didn't know what it was. Didn't know who I was. And, yeah. Um, so yeah, so so it was both very different approaches. But Steve, Steve had Steve had Steve's a great mimic, as you know, and Steve had the voice down pat uh-huh. already. He just had to, so he built from the outside in, and, and John built from the inside out. You know? Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's interesting what John's saying about obviously casting comedians that can do drama. From the editor's eye, did, did you when you read the script, did you see it as a drama that had funny bits, or what? I mean, how did you view it, like in terms of genre, or well, did it not really fit into any box? A bit like John, when I read the script, the love story of these two men, this friendship really spoke. So the, the humour was implicit in the script, so that, that was already there. But what I loved about the script was the fact that you actually got under the skin of the two men and that you understood their comedy. So you could bring their beautiful slapstick comedy to a wider audience of younger people who mightn't have seen them. Yeah. But also it just... I love the, the friendship between the two and that, that idea that your own mortality and what legacy can you leave and what happens when you were the faded star who was mistreated by the studio. So the whole... When I was reading it, I think John had the same feeling. It was actually quite tearful, you know, at moments in the, yeah. in the script. It, the script was so beautifully written by Jeff Pope, you could actually just feel it. You could feel that emotion. But the comedy was there, obviously. Yeah. It but was implicitly is, but, in, the, in yeah. the script but, and in those performances yeah. because the casting, what, what John does brilliantly for any director, I think, is just those performances. He's so brilliant with the actors to give them the space. So like one of our clips is with the two women, Shirley and Nina. Yeah. And I wish that they had got more recognition actually for their work because they're extraordinary, I as brilliant as Steve I, and John. I, I, no, I'm going to come on to that actually yeah. because I think, uh, and I'll talk to you, John, about that as well. But I mean, for me, Filth, which was a brilliant, brilliant film. And by maybe, the way, he, he was in both of these films. Uh, yeah, I, um, I was going to say the only thing that Filth missed was that, that Asian guy that's in the DVD extras. Yeah. <laughs> Did but you what, get cut out with like, Yeah, so if you could edit all his films, you seem to keep me in. I keep out of you. But yeah. what, what I mean, I think it's an amazing film. I actually think it might be James McAvoy's best performance. But, yeah. but also, for me, it was James McAvoy and Eddie Marsan being cast against type. Yeah. I'd never yeah. seen James McAvoy playing anyone that was almost 100% irredeemable. Mm. Equally, I hadn't seen Eddie Marsan playing this kind of ingenue. Yeah. Uh, was, was that do, a conscious... Do you, know, do you know what's really funny about that, yeah? Is, is, you know, when you look at Eddie's roles up till then, and James' roles up to then you think you're casting against type because, you know, Eddie usually played like quite a sort of uh, devi- devious character or, or like a hard-working class guy or, or something with a little bit of edge. And James had, you know, been in the Chronicles of Narnia and he'd been in um, the war film that I've completely forgot the name of, uh, Somebody Help Me. Oh. A tournament, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, and, 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 and so when I met James, I was expecting James to be that guy. Yeah. yeah? Uh, and when I was expecting Eddie to be that guy, and James, is, James in real life has got a real edge to him, you know. James, you don't mess around with James, you know. Really, he's, he's, he's you know, he's, he's a tough character, James is. And Eddie is one of the funniest guys you'll ever meet. And, and you just would not, you would never ever expect this. So, weirdly enough, what certainly was casting against type for the roles that they'd done before. But there was, a, there was, there was an element of, of what they brought to those parts that they, they had in, in themselves, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, same with Gary Lewis. Gary Lewis, you know, fantastic Scottish actor, um, who people will know here. And, 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 and uh, you know, the first time I saw Gary was when he played Jamie Bell's dad in Billy Elliot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'd always had this mind of, in my mind of Gary Lewis to be this real working class hero and 
and you know, very serious, dour guy. And again, Gary's sense of humour is next to not. You know, he's an incre- incredibly funny guy. Yeah, you know? he is. Yeah. Uh, so it was great to it was great to give these people roles. Um, same with Brian McCarty as well. You know, a, a lot of them were playing against type, but but kind of who they were inside, I suppose, as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So coming back to um, Stan and Ollie, uh, yeah. we mentioned uh, Nina Rand and Shirley Henson. Actually, can we play in the clip and we, uh, of the, this is the, two, the two old wives' arrival to dinner? I mean, oh, cheers, John. It's a brilliant, brilliant mm. uh, performance. They, you know, Thanks, I hope it's not too cliche to say that they kind of form a double act of their own. Yes, yeah. But was it, am I right in saying that a lot of that was improvised? No, um, I, I, I have to be... Would it be wrong to say You'd that be wrong, yeah. So, well, that, funnily enough, that particular scene wasn't improvised. The one at the banquet, isn't it? There's... There's... Piss me. I, well, I, I've talked about this a, a bit when I've done Q&As. They improvised a lot in rehearsals, yes. yeah? And they came and, and they completely... Both Shirley and Nina, who hung out together outside work and shared an apartment and just got to know each other like sisters, they came to them at rehearsals and said, how about if we change this to this and this, this? So they... In the way that they did improvise, improvise, but not on set... I'm, I'm not a big fan of too much improvisation on set. If there's a line here and there, that's fine. Because it just cuts down your shooting time if you're... You know, if you don't... Especially if you're up against it, you know, if you're up against the clock, which we which we were in, in this film. But I have to give them credit; they, they elevated this, they elevated the script uh, by the by their performances, you know. And we're so uh, what was on the page compared to what they they, they produced was it, it was just it was a pleasure to, to work with them, I have to say. So the improvisation did arrive, so but, you're kind yeah. of half right, but. Yeah. I mean, did you see the chemistry in the edit then? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's why I actually think it, it, what was brilliant is I suppose that John had created a space where all those, because these are four big actors, four brilliant comedic actors, so their timing you know, in the wide shots or in the close-ups, they were just so on point so you could follow sort of the rhythm of their performances throughout. Yeah. But I think what I really liked is the fact that say as an editor when you're faced with a dialogue scene it might seem very uninteresting as, as a, you know, a dialogue scene might sound very straightforward, but the subtext in any scene that you're trying to carve out all this other innuendo, and this was our first proper introduction to the women. Yeah. So this little scene was actually doing quite a lot. It was set in the context, it was the subtext of Stan is lying and the wives are broaching around, it was establishing their relationship. And once they entered the film, which I really liked, they brought a lot of comedy. Mm. So actually we were allowed to get to know Stan and Ollie yeah. in a more serious way. Because before the girls arrived... Probably we were with the boys as they were doing all their, their shows. So it just was a lovely sort of balance. They, they get more... They, even, you know, Steve yeah, and John are very open about saying this. The, the, the girls get more of the laughs than they do in the film. You know, they, they are, they are the, the sort of comic relief in the film. The film about Stan and Ollie is an emotional tale. Yeah. But they, are, they, they them, themselves too, and, um, and Delphont, who plays the tour manager, get more of the laughs, I think. Because yeah. 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 They, their comedies are, are more sort of modern comedy... And it sits better with, with a younger audience, I think. But, but um, I personally feel like when, when the wives arrive in the film, the whole thing kicks off and it's, yeah. it sparks off, you know. Mm. Um, well, let you so say that's the first time we see them and they kind of hit the ground running, well, you, yeah, don't they? Yeah, you've only met them on the telephone calls yeah, previous. Yeah. yeah. First and, time that they're all four together. And like you say, they really properly contextualise the relationship with all four of them, the, the little barbed yeah, side the little and barbed, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So it works on all those levels, but just purely on the surface comedy level. And almost, it's like jazz, 
yeah, and it obviously comes from the performance and the directing and the editing. I mean, yeah, yeah. was that that must have been a labour of love, just that particular sequence, because it is. It's bang, 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 bang. bang. It's beautiful to, to even just to listen to. But I think, like any editor, you, when you look at Rushes, the chief skill I think that we can bring is to, to just go with the rhythm of the performances, particularly when they're as t- high end as this. Even the scene when Stan goes to talk to Ali to say that he's trying to apologise, actually, and then Ali tells him he has to retire. That scene is another scene of beauty between Steve Coogan and John C. Riley, the performance that, that they have. So I think as an editor, you, do, you just follow the rhythm of the actors, but of course, sometimes with timing, you do have to shorten things or you have to find a way of... Frames, sometimes in comedy, make a big difference, but yeah. equally just to allow that humanity come through. So I think if you follow the rhythm, and hopefully you, you also elevate it to something a little bit more... Mm-hmm. But it's there. I mean, you, if you just follow what's yeah. there. I mean, just generally with the pacing of the film, I mean, um, a friend of mine said, this, the, the, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but he said, I really liked it, but it was a bit gentle. Oh. And I said, but isn't that the strength of the film? <laughs> yeah. That you get to a point where when one man launches a scone or cake at another man and that is like <laughs> proper jaw-dropping, I can't believe you did that. In the modern age, yeah. you know, when you think about fast-cut films, and you see this, I mean, obviously we're relying partially on us knowing the relationship between the two men and building in the, 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 the dramatic subtext. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I, I thought that was a revelation that, that you could have a film where that was the, you know, almost the, the pivotal moment. Do you know what I love about John's direction though, as well is if, if you watch Filth and then watch Stan yeah, Ali, yeah. I think it's a brilliant... And the other things that John has done, it's great filmography, actually, of a director. Like, I think in even 10 or 20 years' time, if he's doing a buff to talk about his career... What I love is that he actually shot a film that was true to the story that, it, that he was telling. He didn't impose the style of filth on this. He actually told the story in a style that suited this story. And I think that's a huge talent. Yeah. I mean, did that come, was that in your head from the start? You knew exactly? Well, it was, quite, it was a very conscious decision because um, I did filth. And, and, and filth, did, did, filth did well in Scotland in particular. And thank you. For, to Scotland for that. <laughs> um, it, they really took it to their hearts and, and understood it. Yeah, they really understood it. Uh, and it did okay in England as well, but in Scotland it really, you know, they really came out to, to see it. So I, I felt as though I had done a film that had worked in home territory, and I mean home as in my home, this country. Um, and But I thought, well, if, if, if I want to have a broader career, I need to do something very different, yeah? Because the easiest thing for me would have been to take the next five scripts that came in. They were all sort of down that crazy sort of, uh, you know, that sort of mantra. And, but I, so I thought, right, I want to do something that's, that's, that's about face from, from filth. So it was a conscious decision. And likewise, the next one will be very different from both filth and Stan and Ollie. So, um, but you have, I, I think you have performance as a strength, actually. A directorial line through is the humanity he brings to the characters. I don't like talking about you like you're not here, but he brings humanity to you know to these people. Yeah, I mean, is that something that you presumably do look for in the script? You said you said the script made you cry. It was the humanity yeah. that made you cry. The filth made me cry as well. But I wrote filth that. made me cry because yeah. I wasn't in it. <laughs> no, no, but at you the were end, actually in I, it, I, yeah. no, no, I did, I did cry. I did, that final sequence, final sequence, I actually went. It was like a budgie in a bin bag. It was. I think anything, it, you know, we're, we're human beings and, and, and subconsciously or, 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 or consciously, we, you know, we respond, to, we respond to stories that reflect 
either ourselves or people who we know. Yeah, we respect, we, we, we do it. And I think it's just, a, it's just something that when I get a script I, or, or when I get a book or when I read something, it's like, would I go and see this film? Do I understand this person? If yes, then let's go. If there's plenty of scripts I get that I think uh-huh. I can't do anything with this. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not the right person for this. I guess it's a litmus test, isn't it? If you, if you watch a film and you haven't engaged with it, you think, well, do I care about them? Yeah. Nah. No, yeah. And that's the end of it, isn't yeah. it? When yeah. it comes down to it. Mm. But it has to start with the material, whether it's, f- for me, whether, whether it's with original script or, 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 or novel or, or, or an idea or something. If, if, if I get 10 pages in and, and I'm not feeling it, I, I, I find it very difficult to read the rest and then, yeah. you know. So. Not everything I can do, definitely yeah. not. And you said it was, would you say a fraught process, getting the film on its feet? This one? Yeah. This one was a piece of cake compared to Filth. Yeah. Really? Yeah, Filth was, Filth was an absolute nightmare. Uh, Filth, we were, in, we were shooting in Glasgow, we had a brilliant time, but it, it probably helped the, the, the madness of the film, really, because we were four weeks into that shoot and still missing a million pounds of the, of the money. Oof. The crew hadn't been paid for four weeks. Um, there, was, there was mutinies it was, it was an absolute it was madness when you look back at it wow. and Stan and Oli because the money came from everywhere the money was coming in from Sweden and from Belgium and we had to go and shoot here there and everywhere and we're, we're, we're really, literally were all over the place with that film yeah. and eventually the money came in and saved us you know it was Sting's wife Trudy Styler who, who came in with it, the last million but Stan and Oli was, was, was a walk in a park compared to that because um, it was, we went round a few distributors, we said we've got the script, it's by an Oscar uh, nominated uh, uh, writer, it's about these two iconic comedians, and it was really there, you know, it was there for him, and, and because they're looking for brands. Yeah, but, that, did, but the, did they have that same fear that you had, which is, it'd be very easy to fail here, we've got these, these unsinkable brands, and if we get this even one note wrong. Yeah, but, but the, guy who, the guy who has to take a lot of credit for that is, is, the, the, is the guy who uh, was the head of E1, the, the E1 in, in London, Alex Hamilton, who was a huge Laurel and Hardy fan. And he, he would just, he said, whatever it takes to get made. Um, so he has to take a lot of credit for that, you know. And it's a lot nicer as a director having, you know, a cheque signed that makes you... You know, green lights your film and you can go and do it. You don't have to worry about the rest of the stuff. As I said, with filth, <laughs> I was turning up on set apologising to the crew every morning that they hadn't been paid. And then. And bringing them food. Yeah, yeah. pretty much, yeah. <laughs> pretty much, and then yeah. cutting them out. So, 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 as I said, so, so this one compared to that one was, 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 uh, it was a real blessing. Then. So, then did you get enough time with the cast, like in, with, with, uh, with Coogan and with, with John C. I, C. Riley? Yeah, we built, in a, we built in four weeks. Well, actually, we had built in three weeks. Uh, the fourth week was unexpected because the day before we were due to shoot, I got appendicitis and was <laughs> running rushed out in the hospital, and we had to we had to uh, push back push back mm. for a week. But then that gave them an extra week, so they were happy. Yeah. As I I was lying in my hospital bed recovering, and John Riley texted him with his big smiley faces saying, oh. "I'm sorry, but you know it's yeah. for the good of the film." Yeah. Mm. And how so was how was that process though working with them in that in that three it was, weeks? It was it was. A lot of credit for that has to go to uh, our movement choreographer, who was a, a chap called Toby Sedgwick, who, who Danny Boyle actually recommended because he'd done the he he coordinated a lot of the opening of the Olympics. Right. And so all the the, the dance, I think we're going to see a dance clip in a mm. second, but the dance that they do, uh, all the sort of comedy routines, the double door routine, I think we're going to see as well. Um, all that took three or four weeks to 
to rehearse. And, um, and as I say, a lot of that was down to Toby Sedgwick, who coordinated all that. Yeah. Well, let's have a look, actually. Can we have a look at the double door routine clip, if it's ready to go? So that was actually the last dance routine, uh, and that was where I cried, where they held hands. Yeah. It's a beautiful moment. Had you cut a dance routine before? Oh, yes. Yeah. You had, like before this. before this film. Yeah. yeah because I, I'd cut, I had gone to the National Film and Television School back in 95. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to change that year, but however. Yeah, so, so I, I, had, I have cut a lot of animation, dance films, documentaries, like, yeah. over the years. Yeah. So it, was, it wasn't... It, wasn't, it mean, was a joy. It was actually a joy because John shot <coughs> such beautiful coverage of that final dance that actually we had a lot of... We could have cut it any which way, really, but... The shadows were so beautiful that he'd yeah. captured with uh, Laurie Rose, the DOP, that it, it felt like um, earlier in the film we had seen the dance, so it felt like you could actually afford to go for a more lyrical, yeah. out of time farewell to the two guys as we return to shadow or, or whatever the yeah. whatever that Shakespearean quote is. Yeah. But again, when, when, when it is the double door routine, which is an iconic routine, yeah. Big responsibility, isn't it, to... Well, you know what, again, I have to tell you the truth, that that double door routine, because John shot it, it like, I was actually a bit worried. I was saying to John, we haven't picked much stuff that has real editing, yeah. except there is editing, obviously, in it. But the double door routine, you'll see it when it comes up. It's their performance. So John did a brilliant thing that he just covered it in the wide, and then there's just two medium surf shots. <laughs> and we have one... We didn't go behind until later on. So it's actually... It's the timing of those actors is just so on point. that yeah. That's where it is. I mean, I would be quite modest about it. I don't know if the editing contributed as much as the performances of those guys. We could have held it in the wide shot. No, and but I think, to, no, to be fair to you, so... A, a confident editor... A confident editor... A confident anything... Yeah. ..doesn't have to, you know, shout about it. You know, yeah. It doesn't have to... Put in loads of cuts and make it all. You know, a confident person tells a story, yeah, and uh, and that's good when you're working with somebody like Una. You know that that the, there isn't a, like this ego thing. And and I found it I found it great working with Una because you know similar sense of humour. And I think that's very important as well if you're working with an editor as a director is is you have to get on with them because you're locked in a room twelve mm -hmm. hours a day sometimes. With yeah. them, you know. Any disagreements? Any fights? No, because uh, no, she said at the beginning she's the boss, you know. So, uh, but you, you genuinely know, I mean, is no, that, when it gets to the stage where you're delivering the rushes, does, does, that, does that become the power relationship that the editor's the boss? No, no, because, no, I mean, no, I, no, no, it's such it's, a it's collaboration. Not, I mean, what's interesting is that it, we had a brilliant team, the exec producers like Nick and, and uh, Christine and oh, Xavier, we had such a brilliant and Faye Ward, the producers, so we had a good team. Mm -hmm. So it was a good energy. And then myself and John were... I think, I think what, what, what helped with our dynamic is yeah. that um, sometimes, sometimes you get really blinkered as a director. You know, you come, especially if it's just soon after the shoot, you come in and you think, you, you think you've mucked everything up because you watch the first assembly and it's, it's a disaster and you want to shoot yourself. And when you start working with somebody new and you're just getting to know them, and, and, and I get very sort of tense until I trust the person. So, but what Una was brilliant at with me... Uh, was just diffusing, diffusing any tension, yeah, by either not, you know, uh, getting involved in stupid things that I would have got in, involved in. She was very good at, uh, at keeping the situation calm and keeping a great sense of humour. And and she's obviously a brilliant editor. But on top of that, the the the, the personal thing is really important for me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, I mean, I, I've always thought that the role of editor still 
is relatively unsung. I mean, I think yeah. it was Rob, Robert Carlyle was talking about, he was doing press for Trainspotting 2, and someone asked him about the full Monty. He, was, he really went for it, he said, that film was shite until the edit. <laughs> and I think yeah, he yeah. used those words pretty yeah, much, yeah. and it was somehow, it was, it was completely reassembled, the, the story was mm. retold. I mean, yeah. do you what, feel mm. you get, I mean, we're bigging you up now. I know, I But know, do you feel that generally as, as an art that the editing gets the, the, the kudos it deserves? No, I think I think it could be more recognised. If my mum and dad don't know what I do, uh, that's a lie. She's my mum's getting better at it, but she used to compliment me on shots that I shot, and I kept saying to mum, "That I didn't shoot that." <laughs> together. No, I think I actually think that the what I would like to say, if there are editors in the room, is just to know that you can have a voice. You can actually collaborate. Mm. You can actually sort of say to the yeah. director, because the director might hate a scene, because they remember how horrific it was to shoot that scene. Yeah. And you have to keep reminding them, actually, that scene is yeah. really bloody and good. And you did that several that. times in this film. Uh, funnily enough, it was a scene that was in Ireland. Ireland. And, and so she wanted... Uh, <laughs> they had got rid of it, and I was like, you have to put Ireland oh, back was this, in. Was this when they... <laughs> when, they arri- when they arrived on the boat. I know. I know. And... and, and, and <laughs> And when Una and he came kept, in... He kept saying to me, you can't do that. Because yep. the producers had already sort of said, it was shot in Bristol, so there was a lot of VFX or whatever. And I kept saying, I think you need that breath of fresh air. You yep. need that cheering. Yeah, so it was, it, again, it was great to, to get a fresh pair of eyes in it and, and do that. Uh, uh, and I remembered, thing... I, I obviously thought it was just about the bells, because the, the nice thing that I love in this film is that there's three moments of, of reality or integrity which is that the, the bells in Cove, they really did ring out those bells to the cuckoo waltz when they yeah. arrived in Ireland. And so I downloaded the, this guy on an organ who was playing them to put them in just to try it out in the cut. And the other one was when they're singing, the soprano voice that Steve sings with is actually really the voice of the soprano from the real film. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, right, And then yeah, in yeah. the little montage sequence, yes. um, although we did actually remake that, but in the cutting copy, we used a real newsreel from the real time of the guys to just try and help find the shape of that montage. Yeah. So those sort of moments of integrity, because it is a, a film based on the truth, so I, I like those little details. Yeah. But you had help, didn't you, with uh, a lot of the Lawn Howard Beach Society, is it, the, the, is it the Sons of so the, the Desert? Sons of the desert. Yeah. They, yeah. They, I mean, I, and I think they've given the phone the full backing, haven't yeah. they? Yeah, we're lucky, we're lucky that we, but I think the producer, the producer Faye and the writer Jeff were very clever about that from the beginning. And they, they, they involved... There's a fantastic uh, uh, Lauren Hardy expert. He actually lives up in... I think he's at Airdrie. Uh, oh, it's Ross, Ross Owen. Ross, Ross Owen. Yeah. And he was... A, he, he, for three or four years before we did this film, he was brilliant. The amount of information he gave us and the support and, and even being out there on Twitter and Facebook and, and letting people know about this film. He, was, he really was a, a... He was a brilliant sort of uh, team player... And then we were introduced to, to Stan Laurel's great-granddaughter, yes. so we brought her in early to, to try and get the support of the family. And, and that's what a good producer can do, you know, uh-huh. if, if they see that, how beneficial that is. Because I think if we had gone out... I mean, you see what happened with Green Book. Green Book, uh, I mean, it won the Oscar, so it didn't, it didn't, it didn't do that much harm. But, but it, it, it got a lot of sort of... It was getting a criticism. lot of criticism yeah. because it hadn't... A, Engaged Apparently, with the family. hadn't engaged yeah. with the family, or, yeah. or they didn't want to know, or, or, or they weren't happy with it. Um, so we tried to avoid that, you know. We tried yeah. to avoid that. And you had uh, Stan Laurel's granddaughter and her and great grandchildren at the premiere. Uh, was it Cassidy Cook? Isn't yeah. It? yeah, Cassidy. Yeah. We had yeah. her at the premiere, and we, we flew her over from LA, and the distributor looked after her. And all these little touches, you know, really helped. So if anybody's thinking of doing a movie about, you know, a real person, whether whether they're 
whether they're still with us or not, then I would advise, you know, to, to really process, involve them. Yeah. And also with filth as well, I involved Irvin very on and got, got, got friendly with Irvin. And, and uh, you know, if you're adapting a book, try and get close to the author, yeah. you know, because they're going to be a good friend yeah. down the line when they've got to put the finger up or down for it. You know? And can I say as well, because even with Three Girls, which was based on truth, mm-hmm. we found that actually when you spoke to the real girls and you actually heard the story from their mouths, it was better than almost what you could have scripted because you couldn't have scripted it so yeah. they worked very well with Nicole Taylor our writer on that so I, I can see the, the strength of if you if anyone is doing a true story talk to the real people because you'll find out something that is actually richer than something that you would just imagine mm. with a blank piece of paper on front of you yeah it's giving you both the taste to do more biopic do, stuff I mean it won't be the next thing you do obviously yeah I, I, I certainly don't want to do it for an, another couple I would just, unless it's something it just, it just blows you away but I, I, I wouldn't gravitate to for the next one. Funnily enough, that's the only scripts I'm being sent at the moment. Highly, yeah. And I'm yeah, doing one at the moment. Are you doing one at the moment? I, I'm doing one about the women's liberation who, um, the, the women's liberation movement in 1970, uh, Philippa Lothorpe, the director of Three Girls, is directing, oh, wow. and it's Kira Knightley. It's, they infiltrated the Miss World competition oh, and they flower bombed. They were the flower bomb, bomb, bomb. Yeah, 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 yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. So it's so we'll be set in the mid 70s then. Yeah, oh. it is. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 I'm in the middle of, sh- of cutting it with big screening on Monday, so. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Will that be mini... Uh, 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 Pathé and Left Bank. Four-parter? Oh, no, it's a feature film. Oh, it's a feature film? Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. a feature film. Yeah, oh, yeah. brilliant. Because oh, when you said three girls, I kind of thought maybe it was... No, 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 it's a feature film. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. So, <laughs> com- Christmas time. Yeah, so com- coming back to Stan and Ollie, um, what was it actually like working with... I mean, you know, Steve Cook and John C. Riley, they are heavyweights in, 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 in that sphere. What were they like working with? Were you... Did they kind of get on with themselves? How much were you allowed to sort of have a read on them? I think, in, I think we worked pretty close in rehearsals. Um, and and they, they were pretty tense. The rehearsals were pretty tense. Because as I said before at the beginning, you know, these guys were nervous because they were playing, um, they were playing their heroes. And they knew that every, every comedian in the world, basically, would be looking on and going... Yeah. Just yeah. waiting for you to fail. Come yeah. up with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you know. Um, but so, so there was a there was a lot of pressure uh, on, on them to do that. So my job really was to try and relax them and, and, and to give them confidence. You know, um, and, and Riley used to say to me, he said, I said, he said, what is it with you? Why why are you not stressed about this? <laughs> and I said, well, maybe don't appear on the outside, but yeah. you know. But my appendix but, is just burnt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm feeling sure some pressure. That's exactly what happened. You know? That's the lens the director goes That's to how get much more time. That, 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 yeah, no, it is. It, it, but funny enough, it was. It really was. I'm sure it must have added to it. But it Next film will be the. It's pretty Scottish of you. But there, but, yeah, yeah, Calvinist. Yeah, but the, but the, um, but the, uh, you know, it's just that's your job. You know, your job is to do it. Your job is to is to guide them through. And also, you know, John was wearing a fat suit and he, and he was in makeup for three or four hours a day, and that's a big pressure mm, on yeah, an actor yeah. as well. So all these things, there was, there was reams of dialogue, you know, and for them to, to, to do this, so big pressure. So you look at a film and it looks like a very gentle film, as your friend said. Yes. Yeah. And it is a gentle film. It was not a gentle shoot. No, no. <laughs> it was not a gentle shoot, you know. Yeah. Um, but often, like, Felth wasn't a, certainly wasn't a gentle one either for different reasons. But you sometimes you find that, that if they aren't easy 
sometimes the end product ends up a little bit yeah. better if you've got mm -hmm. to struggle with them. You know? But I mean, I've, I've seen them on the, doing the chat show circuit. They seem to want to promote the film. They mm -hmm. seem to have given, you know what I mean? They, 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 they they're incredible. They did. Yeah, and, they're and, incredible. And I mean, I think Steve as Stan was just mm. a most beautiful performance. And John C as well. They're just, I feel sorry that they weren't again both recognized yeah. equally. Funny, but it was yeah. funny though, wasn't it, that Steve got nominated for the In America, and he got the, yeah. It was funny because. You know, we did a lot of promotion in the States with, with Sony Classics and likewise here with E1. And it was funny, you could see Sony were really pushing John a little bit more, even though they wouldn't admit that. Uh -huh. and, and I think E1 were maybe pushing Steve a bit more because they knew that the home audience were going to go for that. And, and the vote was maybe going to get split between the two of them, so they had to maybe give they one. They had to back one horse. Yeah, they had to back one. And, 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 yeah. and so John did a lot more over there and Steve did a lot more. Over here, so I'm, I'm glad that they both got they both recognized, got recognized yeah. either side. Yeah. You know? but the other thing I think that the, the film walks that title up really well, which is obviously, it's comedic and it's dramatic. It's about people who do comedy for a living by people who, who do comedy for a living. Mm -hmm. Was it difficult for you to maybe say maybe that's veering on one side or the other, or did they find those notes just themselves? Well, this is again I'll, I'll, I'll big Una up here as well because, you know. You, you, the, the, the tone of a film, okay, it's in the script and, and you, you find it on the day as well, but you don't really find it until the edit, you know, 24 frames in every second and each of those frames will affect the comedy or the drama or the emotion. And, you know, so that's, that's where it's really found. And, 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 and the score as well, and Rolf had to find that balance as well. So, but when you're working with John and Steve, the, the, the raw material is, is absolutely there. Yeah, you're just, you're yeah. just this, this, you're the sculpting job, because that's what you're doing in the yeah. edit, you're sculpting something. You're not chipping away yeah. so much at the ice with them, you're, you're rubbing it a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, actually, if we've got time, I wanted to play in one more clip. We've got time to Door, play in the... Double doors. Or, or do you want double doors, or do you want the opening? Do I don't to? think we've got the opening, have we? Yeah, yeah, we have the opening. Got a shorter version yeah, a of short it? A short version of the opening, up to your name. It's up to you guys. You, 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 you do. Should we go? Should we go for the double doors? Yeah. John, John was really clever because in the we had a longer version of that which we both thought was actually brilliant, but we couldn't you couldn't sustain in the film. But John very quickly was saying you have to get rid of their footsteps. So on the soundtrack, you could still hear them walking. So at the beginning, you hear them walking, and then gradually, just their footsteps go completely. Because John kept saying, "It's funnier if, whereas if you hear their footsteps, yeah. they should know that they're behind yeah. each other." Whatever. Yeah. So I thought that was really nice. Yeah. So well, how, how much longer would that sequence have been then? It was a, it was a good God, three or four three. minutes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but but this is what this is what Stephen. You know, going back to their dedication, Stephen John. Mm -hmm. This is you know to praise yeah. them. They wanted to to be able to do this. Um, in one take. One take. Yeah. So, you know, so, so they weren't relying on the edits. And we have got a version of that that, you, that plays Just out in a wide shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. For three minutes. That's very yeah. funny. But, but you just, you know, in a movie, you can't, you, you can't do that. Um, we did have it long for a very long time, then we had to just cut yeah, it Yeah, we, we had to get that. But that, that's, that's how, it was the same with the dance as well. That dance that you see, they, they wanted to be able to do the dance all the way through without any mistakes. Yeah. Um, which was a bit of a pain for me because, you know, I, it meant my shooting days were a lot shorter in terms of moving on to something else. 
but to keep them where you needed to keep them, yeah. you, you, you just, you know, that's how we had to roll with it. Well, I was going to say, as someone who occasionally does comedy for a living, right, when you're doing take eight of something and you're thinking, I don't know if this is funny anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how long did that uh, process take then for, for, that, for that sequence? Would, would that have been, that can't have been just one day, could it have? Oh, yeah, it was half a day. Was that was half, half a day. day. That was yeah, half yeah, a day. Yeah, half this day. was the thing, yeah, yeah. Sanjeev, because, because we, um, we, we were under such a short schedule, and plus John's makeup time, three or four hours, was eaten into our shooting yeah. day because he was in every day, so we, our turnaround, we, we couldn't knock the hours on, you know. We were sort of locked into this seven or eight hour, uh, seven or eight hours on camera, seven usually, I would say. So, um, so we had to, so rehearsals were very important. Uh -huh. So they, they had to have all that down part in rehearsals, the dance, the double row routine, all those things. So we came on set, we were just like, boom, when we hit it and we were there. Fantastic. Mm. And, and that's what about, about the prosthetics? Because they're amazing. Mm. I mean, I saw yeah. them up close and mm. they're absolutely stunning. Amazing, yeah. Yeah, well, well we, we invested a lot in that process because uh, we thought that was going to be an important thing. And as soon as, we, as soon as we released the first photograph of Stephen John as... Stan and Ollie, we thought the, the film kind of lives or dies with this because ah. either people go, oh my God, it really looks like him, or what on earth oh, is that? that yeah. So we, 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 we put a lot of money, and, and so we hired a guy, uh, Mark Coulier, who has won a, a few Academy Awards and, and, and BAFTAs too um, for, you know, for prosthetic design. So we were kind of working with a some, well, really trusted pair of hands who was... He's advice as well, don't he? His advice? He did. He did. Uh, he did Vice. He did Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, Vice. What? Yeah. yeah. No, he didn't do Vice. He did Bohemian yeah, Rhapsody, sorry, Bohemian Rhapsody, and he also did Suspiria as well. All right. So on Suspiria. the short, on, on the short for, for the Oscars this year, the yeah. short list of of six films, he had done three of them. So Mark is, a, you know, it was a very important. It was a very important uh, part of the process for us. But again, same thing in rehearsals. It was like. It wasn't just Mark turned up and said, right, here's prosthetic, and everybody was happy with it. We took weeks on weeks on weeks. Steve, Steve had a chin piece that he then, he then he got rid of. Then he came back again, and he had his nose piece, and he, and he thought, ironically, it made him look like Rob Bryden. Really <laughs> weird, right, yeah? It actually made him look like Rob Bryden. It's like, who's going to tell him? Who's going to tell him? <laughs> so, um, so we got rid of that. And, and the other thing was, uh, Steve, <laughs> Steve's got brown eyes, and John's got blue eyes. But Ollie, in real life, had brown eyes and Stan had blue eyes. So they had to have colour-corrected yeah. contact lenses as well. So there's all this thing that, that, that Steve's ears were pinned forward and had some teeth pieces. So there was a lot of... Um, there was a lot of work for him. And Joe, you know, just because we probably should mention uh, Steve Coogan, like to pay tribute to him, he showed the film to his dad the year before, yeah. so at the Christmas time. And then he came into the kitchen room as well just to talk about some ideas. But he told us just recently that one of the ideas about the egg routine actually yeah. was his father actually oh. made some brilliant comedic suggestions, which then Steve came in and we worked with him through it. And then unfortunately Steve's dad passed away, but at least he, oh, like Steve was saying, he saw the film. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah. So, uh, he, he, not only did he see the film, he actually really contributed to the film because he gave some brilliant ideas to Steve, who Steve... Yeah. Grabbed and passed them to John and came to the kitchen room and we did them. Right. I mean, that's a, that a beautiful sequence as well. Because yeah. we, we, which theatre is it, is it in? That was in. Uh, we, we did. We, we shot it twice. The, the first time we shot it was in a was in the Birmingham Rep, and it was supposed to be a theatre in Newcastle. Uh -huh. 
and then we shot it in a theatre in Wimbledon, which was which was supposed to be Dublin. Yeah. Yes. So we were doing it a lot. We were cheating theatres for theatres. Mm. But the Wimbledon was the Glasgow Empire as well. Uh, no, uh, yeah, well, the one with the re reception, the scene that you were in, uh -huh. uh, and my daughter and my wife, who are actually in, in the audience as well, uh, <laughs> they, they were in that scene as well, but, but uh, uh, that, was, that, was, that was Wimbledon too, yeah. that day, yeah. um, with that hilarious Scottish lady, Veronica. Oh, oh she was fantastic. Yeah, mm. who, uh, who, talking of improv, she, 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 she probably had the most improv in the whole film, because <laughs> she was adding in these lines at the end, they were crackers, but then she got a little bit carried away with it, and said, yeah, you're, you're going to have to calm down now, Veronica. You know? So, um, but yeah, that was, that was right, that was Wimbledon, yeah. what you done for. And also with the, coming back to the prosthetics, I mean, famously, uh, B. Party, who's was a big lad, but he had grace. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that, and that's something that yeah. John C. Reilly has absolutely replicated. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of work for him. Yeah. Well, he, 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 John always talked about it like that. He, he always imagined there was a, there was a string pulling him, pulling him up, and he was just floating because that's how Babe, Babe was a very, Babe Hardy, Ollie Hardy was a very good golfer. He was the best golfer in Hollywood. He was a huge man, twenty-five stone, um, but he was the best golfer in Hollywood. Believe it. And he used to win all the celebrity tournaments. So he had us real daintiness to him. And even more so, even more so than John himself, if, if you look at the real Way Out West film that we replicated for our film, when they're dancing, the dance you saw, and you look at how dainty the real Oliver Hardy was, he was incredible. You know? so, 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 John, so John had to get this fat suit that made him look really fat. We weighed it down, but it wasn't too much that he, it would prohibit him from, from, from having that lightness, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering, have we got time to play in that, the opening sequence, or, because I know we've got yes, the... Yes, yes, that Because I think it, it's... It, it doesn't go down to way as west, though. It only ends... No, no, no. The track, yeah. But, the, the track. but I think it's the yeah. tour de force, though. Yeah, yeah. It's just the, 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 the opening, the opening yeah. The yeah, the track, okay, yeah. yeah. It's the credit sequence as well, so... Yeah. I mean, I have to say that's up there with one of my favourite opening sequences of any film in terms of telling... I mean, you're there. That's it. Mm. Bought and sold. Right, because you know, I, I went and watched the film, and I, you know, I'm a Lauren Hardy fan myself, and I thought, no, we're in safe territory here. You just, I mean, that world, you just absolutely nailed it in. How many minutes? Yeah, that's well, two there was and a half. Three bit, minutes, three minutes. Oh, there's a bit more in There's the front more, of that yeah. uh, that, we, that we cut out. So, I don't know what it ends up being. It ends up being... Five minutes, maybe, it's the very end. No. Four and a half. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite a while. Because it, it, it begins in the room, but we just didn't have time yeah. today yeah. to show the whole yeah, thing. Sure, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, we invested <coughs> a lot of resources into that. I think it's five we, minutes, actually. It was nine, it, the, the original script was nine pages of dialogue mm -hmm. in the dressing room. And, and then it cut to the inside the stage there. So I thought, well, we should, we should just get this on its feet and, and, and get it moving around and, and let it feel a bit more cinematic. So w w there was a lot of resources with that, the amount of extras, the amount of you know, the, the technical process to achieve that sort of, yeah. achieve that shot as well. But it was, yeah, it's something that we're all proud of, you know. How many days for that? One. Well, no. How many days? I, I actually lied. I actually lied. <laughs> I actually lied. So, it was that, it's actually split into a couple of things because there's a visual effect that, that you hopefully can't tell where it is shot in a different location. But the main part of it, which which is when they go outside, mm -hmm. when, when the sun blasts on you, that's a visual effect when they're going into the, into the open air. So from there until when they walk into the stage, uh, is, is we had to do it in one day. Um, and so we, we built this 
this miniature in my production office in Pinewood Studios. And it was like a military operation. We, we used to move the extras around. So we've got two Romans coming in here, and you've got an Egyptian walking past smoking, <laughs> and then there's a car driving. And so we had everybody around the table knowing, because we had one day to do it, because we were in Pinewood, and Star Wars was shooting in Pinewood. And, and Star, Star Wars had every single stage. Yeah. And we could only get in in one day. It was a Sunday. And... Um, and they said, right, you've got one day to do it. And we were praying that it would be sunny because it was supposed to be California in 1937. <laughs> and it was a Sunday. And the, and the day before we shot it, it was buckets oh, of rain. No, no. And the day after we shot it was buckets of rain. Oh, wow. And the day we shot it was sunny. And we did 18 takes and we used the 18th. Really? Yes. Mm -hmm. That's I can't believe you did that one day. That's yeah, we used the 18th. Yeah. <laughs> it was, again, it was preparation. We yeah. just, it was almost like we had to do it. We just, it, that was, that was a, that wasn't yeah. a choice. It was like, uh -huh. this is what you have to do. Yeah, yeah. or you don't get the Or else you, you don't yeah. get it. So yeah. you just have to prepare for it, you know. Well, listen, um, we've got a few minutes now to, if you, if anyone in the audience would like to ask a question to John or Una. Hi, yeah. Um, well, I suppose drawing on like the opening sequence there, Two things really for yourself, John. I mean, anybody that watched the old Lauren Hardy films will know just how well Steve Cook and John C. Reilly performed that down to the mannerisms, you know, like for Hardy's wee tie wave and, yeah. and then other things, you know, like um, Stan's hat gag when he's winding up the receptionist as well. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, how much of that was your input, your um, make sure you get some mannerisms there, or was that just simply their interpretation of the character, did they just instinctively know that's what they had to include in that performance? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we, 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 before we started shooting, before we started rehearsing, we, we watched a lot of Laurel and Hardy films together. We went down to Steve's place in Brighton and he has this like, screening room in his basement and we just sat there and got drunk and watched all these, uh, <laughs> all these films. And, and, uh, and we talked about it a lot, you know, and, and they were their heroes. And so I have to, you know, I, 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 can't I can't take credit for, for those little mannerisms. I mean, you, you, you can... Well, I, well, I think the thing that helped Steve in particular was we were doing a movie called Stan and Ollie, uh, which was about Laurel and Hardy. Um, and Stan and Ollie were the most off-screen version of Laurel and Hardy. And Laurel and Hardy was obviously the most on-screen when they're 100% goofing around. And there was a sliding scale where, in some scenes, they would be they would be fifty-fifty because they would be sliding into Laurel and Hardy, and, that. and they had a very simple direction with Steve, especially that I used to go a little bit more of if he was being too Laurel, so if, if the of the of the on-screen character was coming across too much, a little bit little bit less Laurel, a little bit more Stan, or vice versa, and and it was a really simple direction, but he he knew exactly what I was talking about, and he went. Got it, and then he would just alter his performance to that, and it's a really difficult thing to do because he's he's playing this, you know, he, he's, it's almost like a volume scale. So that's 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 how I work with you know with Steve in particular, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, the other thing as well, it was just and again, I think well, the opening sequence being the prime example of that. Um, I've noticed examples of it in other biopics or films that are based on dramatization of real. Events the way that they kind of there's a, the subtext and the build up to you know obviously that them speaking about why don't we own our own studio and obviously that's leading up to the spat and the falling out later in the film so and then things as well you know like the conversation at dinner it's the comment on Hardy's health and watching his heart can you he do it so I mean is that maybe not so much a uniform but is that really the most effective way when you're dealing with a true story to build those kind of like 
hints like sowing the seeds into the script in order to tell the story. That way somebody that maybe doesn't know watching it for the first time doesn't know how things happened in real life. That way they pay off when it yeah, the event think, happens, think, happens. Yeah, I think you can say it about any any narrative though. Um, I think you can I think you have to look at it. I think you have to look at it when you're doing a film, whether it's a existing material or you know it's a biopic or, or something it's even if it's a famous event or whatever, you still have to you still have to make this tale as though nobody knows anything. No, every, you know, when people are coming into the cinema to watch it, there's no prior information. Yeah, you have to tell the, you have to tell every single tale like that. Even if it's even if it's a, an, a, an original script, even if you're sitting at home doing that, it's the the discipline, the storytelling has to be the same. I think. Yeah, you have same in any novel or I think you have to have that. You have to have that mentality when you're going into it. In I, my I think, yeah, I think what's good though is that, that you've picked up, although it's expositional, say, but it's done in such a loose way that it doesn't feel expositional because there's nothing worse than in the cutting room yeah. and you've a scene and you think, oh my God, they're saying these words to each other that they both know yeah. just yeah. for the audience. That's, there's nothing worse than that. They usually get chopped out. So it's good that you picked up. There's a way of writing that tells the audience what the audience need to know but doesn't feel expositional. Show, show, not tell, that's the big yeah. thing. <laughs> but have you, have you both seen Green Book? Yeah. Yeah. Right, so who's all seen Green Book? I really liked it, right? I, I, I thought... <laughs> but, but, I like the way you say that. No, 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 no. There was, there was a scene yeah. right at the beginning when um, his wife has had the, the, the two black guys around fixing, was it the yeah, thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. And he puts the glasses in the I bed. I know, in the bed. Yeah. That was... I like, that feels like a different film. It feels totally it, and, and different And film. nothing he does, it doesn't foreshadow... Nothing he does after that. He's no. actually quite a sympathetic man. He is, Who's yeah. sort of just caught in the wrong time. I had the same problem because when he did that and then he met Dr. Shirley and he just shook hands without a problem and I was thinking the character who put them in the bin yeah. would not be so loosely yeah. having no problem at all with Dr. Shirley. I say we slaughter all the Oscar nominees <laughs> and get Stan and Ollie retrospectively <laughs> on that podium. I, I, I thought it was worth it. I thought it was worth yeah. an Oscar. Hashtag just say Well, I have to say, I have to agree with you. Yeah. Uh, any other questions? Um, is there any sort of important lessons that you learned from... Uh... <clears throat> is there any important lessons you picked up when you're making this film? Because obviously filmmaking is a very, you know, you, you constantly evolve going from project to project. Is there anything you can think of in this one that either of you thought you know, had a bit of a, a, a bit of a revelation at all? Um, come back to you on that one, Una, you got Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, every everything that I actually work on, I think all of us we always actually learn something new, or you you just get a little bit more confidence, or you do take from it. On, on this film, I mean, I actually have to tell you the truth. I feel really honoured to have been part of this film because I think the way John directed it, the way the guys performed it, everyone on the team was just top. Notch, the guy in the, the, the theatre. But, you know, so it was actually a real privilege to be on it. But the thing that I really loved and maybe learned from was the fact that in drama editing, very often you, if, there's, if there is a conversation, sometimes the person who's speaking is not the important... It's more interesting to be on the person who's reacting to the words. But in comedy, actually, sometimes being on the person who's saying the line is crucial and critical. And that was really good for me to just sort of realise that and sort of play with that a little bit more, that the power of actually, in drama editing, very often you try and do something a little bit around the side or be a bit more obtuse about it. But in comedy, there's such beautiful rhythm and performances. You have to be very respectful of that and just go for it and trust the performance. Don't overthink it or overwork it. 
there's something I did think of actually. Um, I think when you're, when you, especially when you're in the edit, um, if you're working on a movie, it's got a lot of producers, a lot of voices, yeah? You've got a lot of executive producers, producers, if, there's, if the writer has a particularly strong voice as well, even if the actors, you know, have got a bit of a say, um, sometimes you can get a little bit swamped. Um, and if you're getting 10 different opinions, if people are coming at you with, with, and they're all saying a different thing, ignore everybody, yeah? And do your own thing. However, if 10 people are coming at you with exactly the same point, don't be pig-headed, right? Mm. You have to listen to them because then... And they may, they may not have the right... This is one thing I, I, I learned as well. They may not have the right solution, but they're, if they're all saying that there's a problem, mm. then there's a problem. Their instincts are right. I yeah. think that's maybe one thing mm -hmm. I, I learned, mm. yeah. So did you not cut much comedy before? Then? Well, actually, I, I have, but mostly in documentaries. So a lot of my drama CV, uh -huh. if you were to see it, is a little bit grim because it has things like The Missing or Three Girls or yeah. Wallander and The Crown. So it's not noted yeah. for its comedy. But my documentaries that I've done are actually very, very funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't mind me saying yeah. Which ones? Yeah, I know. Exactly. Well, they're all documentaries, feature documentaries, so they would be like Frank Ned and Busy Lizzie. So there's implicit comedy in them, uh -huh. but, they're, but that's where... But I, I, this is I, fascinating what you're saying. I'm, about... I'm actually a campaigner, though, for actually saying for editors, um, you know, we shouldn't be pigeonholed, because there's a terrible pigeonholing going on that if you're a documentary editor, yeah. it takes eons to get into drama, and then when you're in TV drama, you can't get into feature film. Yeah. When, when, it's, when it's actually film, all storytelling anyway. It's all storytelling, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, totally and if agree. you can cut, if you can cut a good story and reveal the humanity and the emotion of the thing, you can do anything. You can it would do never it. occur to me, though, what you just said about, you know, staying on the... Yeah, I know, but that was good for me to see, because, yeah. but then, for instance, in the scene when, when Stan comes to talk to Ollie about... Um, I'm sorry, and Ollie's saying I want to retire. If you cut that too much for comedy, because, say, John C. Riley was being funny about the little tears on his ducks, but actually Steve Coogan was tearful as he was trying to say, yeah, we'll do the flower and the flower will grow. And actually staying more on Stan or Steve Coogan at that moment was the heart of the whole scene. Whereas yeah. if you just cut it for laughs, you would have lost the whole love story of these two friends saying goodbye to each other. So when he gets into the bed and everything, yeah. a lot of that comedy is implicit, so you didn't have to overplay it yeah. with too much comedy editing. Yeah. Any other questions? Yes, sir. I, th I think throughout this, you've said no to this at least twice. Uh, so like Theresa May, I'm just going to ask you anyway. <laughs> um, it, it, could you be tempted at any time in the future to step back into the life of Stan? Because I think there's a, there's a really fascinating story to be told about Stan's three years or so that he spent in Glasgow. And yeah. I think a lot of people know about him doing the Panopticon for his first performance. But yeah. it's the fact that like, his, his mum's buried in an unmarked grave in Cathcart Cemetery. And uh, he auditioned for Fred Carnot in the city as well. And it feels like there's a, feels like there's a perfect prequel there. If you want to go all Godfather two on it, you know. Yeah, there's there's so much there's so much about these these both of these guys' lives that are that are very interesting. I think I think I, I personally wouldn't you know I, I wouldn't go over go over. I mean I think there's maybe a very strong documentary in there. Um, I I would be happy if someone else took that on. I, I, I and I think it's a great story and, and and you're right it is very interesting as well. Um, but I wouldn't personally take that on, yeah, sometimes you just get, I mean, even now, when I hear 
the cuckoo waltz. I kind of cringed because <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, for for two years solid, I sat in a room and listened to that. Oh no. I'm trying to get him to direct with Steve and John the um, the Robin Robin Good film. That's what I think would be good. Oh, the the unfinished film. Because what was the actual was, was was a single frame of that shot? Or was that all no, imagined? No, no, no. It's all imagined. So, no, 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 so there was a script for it. There, there was, was a script, script but, he, right. but John S. Baird is the only one to have shot the little bit when he falls in with yeah. the fish and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So do the full have version. Have you seen the script then? <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I. But, it but, uh, but yeah, I think uh, <coughs> I think Stan's granddaughter, great granddaughter, got it. But you must have noticed there must have been a resurgence in interest in Lauren and Hardy, and, and, and maybe there might you be. You should do the prequel. I think so, but 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 again, I'm, I'm happy for somebody else. Uh, to someone else to do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to do some slasher movie or something. Slasher. <laughs> uh, no, but my next one, hopefully, is going to be up here based on a very famous Scottish novel, and I'm really excited about it. And if it oh. comes off, I'm like, ooh. Okay. So I want to come home and do the next one. Okay, one more question, you can't ask him what the novel is. Yeah. <laughs> but you get one, one more question, yeah? And it's not everyone Welsh, go on. <laughs> Hi John, uh, you were very passionate about the Scottish film industry. Do you think we'll ever get a studio? Um, do I think, I mean, they've been talking about this for so long. What is the latest with it? Who knows? Um, I, why we don't have one is just is beyond me, you know. We've, the, the, the talent up here is incredible. I saw it when I made Filth. Um, even when I made Stan and Ollie, I, 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 there was a lot of my crew were, 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 from in, were from Scotland who I hadn't worked with on Filth. This was, this, these were new guys. Um, the talent's here, without a doubt. Acting talent, absolutely here. Um, <laughs> So why we don't have one, I, 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 really, I really don't know. But I'd love, to, I'd love to help in any way. I keep saying to them, I keep saying, come, come, and, come and use me. Come, if you need me to, 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 to do anything or say anything, but nobody's ever asked me. So. <laughs> no, but I hope so. I really hope so. Listen, guys, that is the end of the session. Uh, there it will be networking drinks uh, and play party. In the cafe, <laughs> is that thing? Oh, wow. Um, so yeah, we can you can network and chat to each other, but in the meantime, it's been an absolute joy. Please give up for John Lester. <laughs>